Hey folks, welcome to episode 148 of the Becoming Human podcast. This episode features Chris Ben Chetler. He is a professional skier, filmmaker, and graphic artist. He's combined his passion for art and sport in ways that have captivated a lot of people. He has some amazing artwork on a variety of gear from smart wool socks to atomic skis. He is intuitive in his approach to sport, art, and life. In this episode, we dive into how Chris balances his passions and resolves what he's passionate about. Chris has a knack for diving into an experience and following his heart. You can check him out at chrisbenchetler.com. He has some great videos. Some of my recent favorites are Fire on the Mountain, where he did like a collaboration with Grateful Dead and made some amazing visual art. And uh, also GoPro Chasing Adventure. And you can find the links to that in the show notes or on my website, becominghumanpodcast.com. And the music on this episode is Existential Blues by The Living Arrows. You should go check them out. You can find them on the website and YouTube, Spotify, Bandcamp. And without any further ado, here's Chris. My dad was passionate about skiing. He he ended up in Mammoth Lakes in 71, I believe. And he came here during college to kind of pursue ski racing himself. And he, for whatever reason, never really made it. And so I think once I showed interest in skiing, he obviously, you know, introduced my brother and I to skiing at a very early age. And when I kind of showed some some interest in racing, he supported me wholeheartedly because I think wow. he was, yeah because I think he was just living out his dream slightly you know and then once I started getting less interested in racing and more interested in jumping in the park my brother had switched to snowboarding at that time and there was a very large movement around the terrain parks around here so I was super inspired by what all the boarders were doing and and twin tips had just come out so I, I kind of quit racing at about age four, 15, I would say, actually probably 14. And then, uh, yeah, just kind of, that was the way to start skiing then was to compete. And then I, I didn't ever do amazing really. <laughs> I, oh, wow. I, I, yeah. Like I competed for a bit, but it all happened so fast. Cause I, there was, you know, films were just starting out then and, mm -hmm and becoming a bigger and bigger thing. And so at age 17, I had my first opportunity to film. Yeah, I think yeah, I was 17. And so that season was, you know, like come, come ski powder and buy a snowmobile and we'll try and see if you can cut it in the movie. And that I never looked back after that. I kind of stopped competing after that. Whoa. Yeah. So my com competitive history is short, really. It was very much focused around filming and photos and, and just being in, in movies, essentially. That's wild. And you were keeping in skiing because you like something about it, but you haven't really got that thing that hit that sweet spot for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, skiing certainly hit the sweet spot. I was very passionate about it, but mm -hmm. I think the, uh, the terrain parks and just flying through the air was more interesting to me than going fast. So, and that's, I, I find it interesting from the outside perspective of someone who isn't like really engrossed in something 
when you mm-hmm. look at um when you look at skiing or really any kind of like recreation from the outside looking in you could like you could almost see the surface level goal of just being a competitor then you yeah. like when i dived into these things i realized that there's like all of these different kinds of roles and that are like waiting to be filled or waiting for more people to show up you know and, and uh, mm-hmm. dust off the coffers and bring some new ideas or some new abilities you know into the mix and yeah. like you know even if you're someone who isn't necessarily competitive or you try that out that there's other ways to like express yourself within that within that vein of of your chosen like recreation or interest absolutely yeah i mean we're i'm very fortunate that we had uh, really surfers kind of paved the way you know there was a free surfing movement that were trending away from the world tour and then snowboarding followed suit with all the all the movies and stuff and then ski films were to follow that they kind of the snowboard industry you know skiing's been around forever and it's a very effective and useful tool but snowboarding kind of revitalized it for sure so it was it was cool to just grow up in that culture and and be a part of that movement and then take inspirations from surfing and snowboarding to apply to my skiing and look at the mountains differently, which kind of carved me a niche, you know? So it allowed me to express myself differently. What about the snowboarders movement? Like what was that like and and how did it pave the way for you to be able to express yourself differently? I think just how they viewed the mountain, really, it was much more playful than a race mentality. Like I, you know, racing was very structured and it was to get you know be technically sound and get down the mountain as fast as you can so mm-hmm. no mistakes and really dictated where you turned and then i feel like any racer i knew that free skied tried to get down the mountain as fast as they could even still you watch skiers versus snowboarders it's not it's not the same mentality and it's changed for sure there's you know a lot of my peers that like skiers that I've spent my, my decades or yeah, how long I've been doing this. I'm 34, almost 20 years. Um, yeah, that I've spent two decades filming with view, the view the mountains in the same way as me, but there was a movement for sure that snowboarders kind of zigzagged across the slopes. They would look for something to slash or they would look for an air to jump off. And it wasn't so much as, as just getting top to bottom and hitting a big air. It was, creatively picking apart the mountain and and kind of had an art artistic element to it that obviously I'm very inspired by art so it was just the way they drew lines down the mountain were much more creative than what skiers were doing at that point in time when you when you were younger and you were competing um did you understand that that disposition or that interest that you had that artistic interest more so than maybe a competitive interest um and like what what went on within your own life for you to figure out you know what that was and how to set your aim i think yeah i realized i don't know how i realized it it wasn't like some profound moment (laughs) that helped me like see the light you know but when i was competing especially you know in like x games qualifiers and those kind of things there's the ego that all of us have and so you have to address that but then when I would win into final, like get into finals, winning my heat or whatever, it's so subjective, like a judged sport. It's so like the grab is different or this rotation is different. And I I just never felt like 
I cared enough to win or needed to win. It wasn't like what was satisfying me. So the creativity and the art artistry side of filming and writing backcountry just spoke to me. And I, I've always been interested in art, you know, like got pieces behind me and stuff, but uh, I drew on all my homework as a kid and, and I, I was kind of, you know, just always very interested in art and I didn't necessarily pursue it. I wasn't like, I'm going to be an artist one day, but I, I knew that it was something that, you know, was meditative for me and something that I really enjoyed. So once I put all those pieces together, like I said, there wasn't one exact moment, but I kind of knew that about myself that I liked the creativity of, of skiing more than being better than the next guy. Hmm. And through thinking about your relationship with your dad and his like ski racing interest, um, was, was there any, like, did you consider what you wanted to do like professionally in the future or is that in something in your household where maybe there wasn't a lot of attention put on that? So it's sadly my, my upbringing was, I was very blessed and lucky, but it all, it all happened so fast. Like my dad, the year I switched from racing, he was diagnosed with lung cancer. And so he and my brother was pursuing snowboarding. Him and, and my brother is incredibly intelligent academically. Mm -hmm. And so him and my dad were butting heads big time. And so he essentially moved out at 16, moved up to with his friend, not in such a bad way that they weren't speaking, but mm -hmm. you know, he was snowboarding. My mom was on his side, letting him pursue snowboarding. And I was jealous of my brother at that time, but I just had to grow up quickly. So that was, I was 14 to 16. My dad died when I was 16, but it was, it was very much a, a rapid decline in his health. So I had to, he was a builder, so I had to work for him. So I was digging holes, denailing boards and, and doing construction <laughs> wow. stuff. And I had to drive him to work every day. And just, I absorbed a lot of responsibility that skiing became a major outlet for all of that, that I was dealing with, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, it just, I guess the answer is I just grew up quickly. So I, you know, when you think about that stuff, like there's my mom saved an illustration. I think I was second or third grade. That was like, I want to be a pro skier. So clearly I loved skiing, you know, but, and so that was in there somewhere, but I, wow. I wasn't like chasing it. It was just, something I love to do took my mind off of the responsibilities at home and all that. And then we, my father, you know, grew up very, very differently than me. So he was, he was very giving to us, but we had to like earn it and have a lot of respect, you know, cause mm -hmm. he came, he came from Hungary during the communist revolution. He was seven and they had to escape communism in 1956 and oh he was God. thrown in jail and separated from his parents and all these things. And oh. then, <laughs> and his parents both danced in the ballet back in Hungary. What? And yeah. So wow. long, long story. But by the time he got to mammoth, he, he started in America with nothing, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, and then they ended up in long beach. He kind of turned into a little surf rat. Um, and, and then he, you know, found some friends that came up to mammoth and he just never left basically. So that's how his life transitioned up here. And then when, you know, for us growing up here, it was just a deep appreciation for what we have because of where he came from, you know? So we had, 
we didn't necessarily have a lot of money, but we had like, he bought himself good skis. He bought himself, you know, whatever it was. And we would never travel outside of California. It was basically ski every weekend in the winter. And we had a wakeboard boat for the summers. So, wow, yeah. So that was kind of what, you know, set me on my path, but, but definitely the work ethic that he had and, and how his, his father and him kind of came to be, you know, yeah, a lot a, of hard work. And that's really beautiful character. Cause something that I noticed was when you go through a hard, when you're going through that hard time, when you're a teenager, that uh, skiing became an outlet for you. And from my perspective, like I didn't have my dad, you know, around growing up and I didn't have really any male role models. Um, but the coping with the town, some of the towns that I lived in, it was oftentimes people would just go get trashed and yeah. like, and, and that would be the the ways that a lot of people would cope with. And I think about this a lot when I was, when my son was being born, um, because I realized there's like a cliche that you have in like, um, like really in a, in a, in a movie, maybe like a religious town, right. Where people are like, like, especially women, you know, not allowed to, to have sex for instance. And then yeah. because of that, it's like super wild, you know, and it's like, that might not entirely be true, but you just yeah. see that in like, the harder that you try to enforce something or, or impose this lesson upon a child, sometimes the harder they'll rebel. And it's also less important in my opinion as, or from my perspective and my relationship with my son to like, to nag or, or any of those kinds of things to intimidate. And I want to inspire, right? Mm -hmm. Like I want to go and um, inspire him to go have experiences and have lessons and come back and, and have things to tell me about from them, you know, or be along the way with him and just, you know, put the little bumpers up. So he's okay. But to see like someone in their youth go through something really hard like that. And, and from what I could tell, getting that, like a lesson from his father, you know, that these things, these forms of recreation can be ways that we, you know, outlets for us, you mm -hmm. know, ways that stimulate us, ways to like work ourselves out and like in a very subtle and unspoken way. Yeah, cool. absolutely. Yeah. I, was, I mean, looking back and now having children of my own and going through the process of, <laughs> of helping guiding them through this world, you know, it's, it's a, it's a trip. It's super interesting and being able to expose a child to, this life is we're so lucky you know like mm -hmm. to have that opportunity and the fact that I grew up around here and I have so many friends like you said that just didn't it didn't click for them for whatever reason they were just too fortunate I guess and mm -hmm. and so that's something I'm I'm definitely conscious of and hope I navigate well with my children because <laughs> I mean we have so many skis and snowboard my wife's a pro snowboarder so it's like we have the ability and we get to travel the world and go ski in these lavish places whereas my my first time on an airplane was to a competition skiing you know so it was oh, like wow. drastically different i think my my son has been to seven different countries already and he's only three so, so yeah so it's like it's just a different way of living for sure but i hope i can i hope he has the same appreciation yeah, it'll be cool to be able to see the differences there as you start growing, you know, getting older and your children grow older and you can reflect on that. Yeah, totally. And um, with so with the the skiing and, and stuff and it come, when you're like shooting, shooting video and writing these lines, does that change like the the meaning and purpose of of your uh, of your turns or your descent? Like, 
because like you said before, when someone's doing it competitively, it's usually as fast as they can, most direct line down, right? Um, yeah. But as you start getting into um, filming and stuff, then you start uh, looking for, for different things in skiing and you start developing, you know, developing from there. Um, yeah. What was, what was that like as a skier? Because I imagine that's different as a skier than a snowboarder because you're having all this momentum developed by the snowboarders. And I imagine skiing's kind of towing behind with it, right? In terms of like style choices and riding lines and mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's interesting because skiing is a much older sport. So, and there was certainly a generation before snowboarding was a thing that was like jumping off cliffs and doing things that I do. So it was very much a blend of the two, but yeah, I mean, in terms of like, I think this was your question is, is how I, you know, look at a line or how I decide where I'm going to ride, you know, creatively or whatever, where that influence is coming from. And, and filming it, there's, there's still an element of competitiveness to it. You know, I'm always competitive with myself and I want to, I'm never satisfied, you know, I'm a somewhat of a perfectionist, I would say. So it's like, trying to find something that's super inspiring. And so when I look at a slope, for instance, it's like, maybe I see a feature on the slope. And then, so it's pick apart how I'm going to get into that feature or what I'm going to do on that feature that speaks to the angles of the terrain or whatever it is. So snowboarding influences that, but I think we very much see the mountain in the same way, you know, it's just a different tool at this point, but it was, snowboarding that opened the minds of skiers to like riding backwards and and having less directional shapes and making fatter skis and helped because i'm very involved in ski development too so i would say snowboarding influenced that side of me much more than the specific line choice i think i would have with or without snowboarding would have looked at the mountains pretty similar you know mm -hmm. it, I mean, it's hard to say really, but yeah. Cause yeah, cause the way you ride overall is basically, uh, basically the same, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, um, with the, what makes the difference when the skis are wider? More flotation. Oh yeah. And, and does that, does that stylistically play into things or does that just get you into different terrain? It stylistically plays, but it also, it, it changed the way like the errors that we could land. If you go mm -hmm. back, did some homework and went back, I haven't even watched a ton of these movies, but ski movies from there's ones like called blizzard of Oz and with like Glenn Plake and some of these older guys, you know, that were, mm -hmm. they were jumping big airs, but they always landed on their sides or landed on their back. It's just kind of like a big bomb hole. And so oh. our generation was much more focused on trying to land on your feet. And so more surface area gives you a better chance of landing in deep snow, you know? And so, and that's when like rocker profiles came into skis. So now instead of having just a camber ski, you have reverse camber in the tip and tail, which is also increasing the float. Mm -hmm. And then you have camber underfoot for your effective edge and all this different stuff. So there, it's just been a rapid progression in technology. And I think one of the first people to like, view that was not a snowboarder it was a skier this guy shane mcconkey which that's another great documentary worth watching he's he's sadly no longer with us but oh. he uh he took some water skis up to alaska <laughs> and so they were like full, full bananas you know and he took them and mounted ski bindings on them and and rode them up there so there was there was certainly like 
skiers and snowboarders were moving in the same direction and helping each other evolve, you know? And so, and so, yeah, with ski technology has allowed me to be much more creative and do nose butters where I like press the tips of my skis in, in the middle of a 360 on the snow, you know, yeah. there's like all these types of things that you can now do because of, of ski technology that you could have never done with old, old school skis. Oh, wow. I would have never thought that the technology would open it up so much. Yeah. It's, it's cool. And it's interesting. I was, I had a podcast with a guy who does like custom ski building and, um, and also uh, two people who do, who build like mount, mountain bike parts and nice. custom. And I found it interesting that like these, like material design or making these kinds of things um, is like a, a, an art form, right? That people get to experience and develop a relationship with over time. Like, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. I mean, bike, bike mechanics, just mechanics in general, that blows my mind how intricate those little pieces are. But yeah, and the crazy thing goes for ski engineers, you know, because like the creativity of how you solve different problems, right, with just um, just changing little variations on the skis can change somebody's experience so much. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Even where you mount your bindings on the skis can really? change someone's feeling. Yeah, totally. Oh. Yeah. Like it's, it's wild, just the subtleties, you know, and, and where someone mounts, there's like where I might mount my skis, how I ski might be totally different from someone that skis a little bit more in the backseat or whatever it might be might. Yeah. Totally yeah. change their experience. So it's pretty. And I think that's where it's interesting is like, as someone who's like an artist in that way and like creating a form of art is, is you get to infer what your like, you know, customer or person is going to experience it, you know, wants or needs. And then your interpretation of that gets changed into like abstract, you know, concepts and you bring it into reality through like material design and, and all of these things that you've like learned over time. And then this person gets to like touch, feel, hold, experience and develop and make videos with it and all these things. And like, I love paintings and stuff, but I'm now I'm getting torn in the, the art that I really like would like to get into because like, a, you know, paintings are really important because of like, you get to have them in your house and that's, you get to have the experience in one way. But then I find like with these, these things, you get to, you get to experience the art, you know, and develop that relationship with them. And I just mm -hmm. think that's like, it's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a special process and it's cool. Just, uh, you know, I, I'm lucky that I, I work with like incredible engineers in terms of the skiing and then in the art world too, you know, it's, there's so many people testing boundaries and just breaking how we think, how we think traditionally, like the Picassos of the world and stuff, you know, yeah. so it's, it's nice to come after the fact and get to play off of all of their trials and, and fails, you know, so. And be a part of that culture. Yeah, totally. And you mentioned that you work with people in like, uh, in the ski building industry. Mm -hmm. um, what, what kind of roles do you fulfill? What kind of things do you do? Well, so I ski for Atomic Skis and they have an entire team of, of, you know, production factories, engineers, everyone you can think of. And so if I come, I come to them with a concept, which is how it's worked in the past. Like, Hey, this is the kind of shape I'm thinking. This is the kind of rocker profile. I'm thinking I want to do this with my skiing. 
then they'll be like, okay, that's a little bit too far fetched. This turn radius doesn't work with this tip measurement. You know, I'm like, I want it 142 millimeters in the tip and a whatever 19 meter turn radius. And then, so you have to, you have to kind of like go off of what you've skied in the past. And when I started skiing for atomic, they had a, you know, had a more straight, stiff race, race built ski. Cause they're, so good at building race skis that's that's their heritage you know they're an austrian company and they've they're still the best ski company in the world in in regards to world cup racing and all that stuff and i mean now in my world too i feel like they're probably at the top of the list but so they have the team in place to help my ideas come to fruition essentially so it's they'll tell me what's possible what's not send me prototypes send me different flex patterns then I'll, you know, get somewhere that I'm happy with and they'll have the rest of the team test them as well because, you know, it is a team effort. I'm not like the only person that knows what what a ski should feel like. You know, there's an entire professional team at Atomic, like all the diff- other athletes that give my ski the notoriety and the name that it it deserves to. So I'm super fortunate of just my timing and where I fit into the brand. And then, and then on the art side, I'm very lucky. I have creative freedom essentially to come up with the graphics and all that kind of stuff. So that's a wild process when you think about it, like, cause I've the people that I've talked to and who are, who are builders are doing very like all like the one off and really small, stuff and i haven't really talked mm-hmm. to anyone who's like an engineer and works you know um like I, I guess what mass market might be appropriate yeah 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 or i get yeah mass market or or just main consumer but yeah, yeah mass market makes sense and you real i realize just how much of a collaborative effort it is yeah it, it is it's uh it's i mean that's what makes it great ski company a great ski company is having a team of people you know there is like you're saying the one-off ski brands that have great ideas but they don't have the same resources or materials or testing from generations of, yeah. of people making skis you know and it almost seems like a different intent in some way too because by the sound of it if you're like if people are collaborating on a design and trying to like suss out um it's uh skiing ability in those conditions or whatever mm-hmm. um you're almost like evolving something into like the perfect ideation or whatever of of yeah. that ski in that riding condition and that's like you know you're 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 shaping something that is yet to be imagined whereas with something more custom i feel like it's the other way around if that makes yeah. sense you're building something to spec and you you know and it just seems like a different relationship there. Totally. Well, and it's weird too. It's very subjective because what I might love in a pair of skis is another skier might hate, you know, someone that mm-hmm. wants to go faster or straighter or have a stiffer ski. So speaking to the masses, like you said, but, and, and accomplishing all my wants and needs is, is mm-hmm. a fine balance for sure. And I think that's where it's different too, because you're right. When you take the individual perspective, you're making um, compromises on something. But then when you're combining it with this, within this collaborative effort, you're basically like making that the best thing for that. That's cool. Do you, um, and so you do the graphics for them too? I do, yeah. How, how long have you been a, a graphic artist for? I, I guess just since I started skiing for Atomic, I. Like I said, I was always doodling on my homework and showed interest in art, but I didn't make a 
a graphic until I had my first ski, which was in 2008. So we've, yeah, we're however many years in because we're always a couple years ahead of graphics. So yeah, I don't even know how many skis I've done at this point because then they're a couple years ago came different waist widths, which increased the number of graphics. And then by doing my ski graphics, there was interest from my goggle sponsors for, you know, custom goggles. And then it was my clothing sponsor, Dekine and mitts and backpacks. And then my, my under, I have ski for smart world too. And they do like graphics on socks. So I have, I kind of actually, I think this is some of my artwork hey, on the shirt. I love <laughs> so, I love the socks that you have. Those ones thank so you cool. so much. So yeah, so my art is like from a graphic design element has kind of appeared on all things across the outdoor industry, which is very humbling and cool, you know, to see. And it's it's also hard to find the balance of when to say yes and no, just because I do get get a lot of interest, which I'm very grateful for. But you also want to be selective to how, how far your art goes and not blow it out too much, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very, that's true. Where'd you, where did you get that kind of wisdom from? I don't know. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I mean, it's just, just, uh, caring about the work I create and Mm -hmm. you know what it means. And, and I just have never been interested in like an energy drink sponsor or just, making the most money i just want to make meaningful things that are very authentic and true to me and my my image you know so it's not about selling it to as many companies as humanly possible and and it's just more about like what companies really support me and want a long standing relationship with me that's like my first rule of thumb instead of just like the mentality of an influencer these days you know it's like Oh, I'll pay you five grand for a post or it's like, sure. That's, you know, very helpful and puts more food on the table or whatever it is. But is it, is it this right call for me in the long run? And I don't think so. So I say no to a lot of things for sure. Yeah. I think things are not often defined by what they are, but what they are not. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Wise words. <laughs> that's what, um, oftentimes I have with my podcast and people talk about like, why don't I have any advertising? And usually the thing that I learned is, is just if you, um, if you have a little bit of restraint and you select the relationships that you have, you have a little bit more, um, control right over, over what, just who you are and the people that you deal with, you know? Yeah, for and, sure. And like in my relationships, whether it's friends or in business, I feel like it's kind of like all the same. You know, I really want to be thoughtful about the people that I spend time with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's that energy is (laughs) you're absorbing it, you know, so it's good to be around good people with the same same ideas. Did you did you develop that um, that mindset with your art? Um, Like when did you develop that kind of thinking with your art and in that principle? I think a principle was kind of just instilled in me, whether I learned it from my parents, I don't remember learning that, but, or just the people that surround me, you know, like, like you said, I just surround myself with like-minded people and always have and, and respect was very much instilled in me as a kid, you know, um, from my father. And, and I think that is respecting yourself and respecting your work and, that it's just, I guess, yeah, it's kind of a blend of it all, you know? So I've, I've always 
held that idea that that I I care more about what I'm what I'm leaving on the planet versus just you know getting rich quick kind of thing yeah it's um yeah i find like you know it's a tim ferris quote the only non-renewable resource is time you know (laughs) once you have kids you realize how little time you actually have (laughs) exactly that's where i even found with the the whole situation with the coronavirus it just made me realize how important that you know that time is with my son absolutely yeah it's been a a blessing and it's been tough on a lot of people you know i'm a little bit scared to see statistics of of how much depression and you know bad things are out there but hopefully a lot of people it was a good thing for them you know yeah gave I, me I, more time with my family too which i'm very grateful for the uh, with your with your graphic design or not graphic design sorry but with your art um did you ever intend to 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 like make a profession out of it and then to layer that on on top of that um no i guess that's it no yeah that was definitely not not a a goal of mine like i i was more passionate about skiing and being outdoors you know i'm very into rock climbing into surfing i used to skateboard a lot i mountain bike a lot like i i was the kind of jack of all trades master of none mentality i just like <laughs> being outside and doing multiple activities in a day you know and just feeling feeling exhausted and mentally happy you know just like movement has always been my meditation and so harnessing my art came from skiing and and just being able to do graphics and and rekindling that passion and then meeting people along the way, you know, I did some more large scale murals and stuff. I did one. The first one I did was in Seattle on the side of the Evo building, actually, which was, that was super cool to paint at that scale, you know, and just, that was my first real like big spray paint job and stuff. So it was, Uh it's just been cool to not put any limitations on myself and just have an open mind and uh, just see where the art can take me. And, and it kind of has, catapulted me into the fine art world you know like with people I've met I collaborated I did this huge Grateful Dead project and and collaborated with a couple artists and did some things that I would have never ever dreamed of you know but it's just by just taking each day as it comes and 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 uh, I guess manifestation would be a big part of that you know and and caring about what I'm doing with my life. So with yeah. your with your art and, and how your art's taken taken over, you know, your who you are as like a skier in that way and a lot of that's organic then. Yeah, totally. Wow, that's so wild, man. Yeah. It just uh yeah, inspiration from from experiences and people and all of that just kind of took me down that road. But you would you spent a lot of time, you know, making art in your youth, like you said, just for the sake of it. Um, did that can did that practice continue on throughout? Like even, you know, when you're an adult and there was a long break for sure of of just doing activities. Like I would still if there was a pen and paper, I would doodle, but I didn't have like I didn't travel with like a an art, you know, journal or anything and I didn't like 
draw super consistently. I would say I took a pretty good break and then and then once once I, that fire got relit when I was able to do my skis, then it turned into like uh, it just yeah. Wow, that's cool. Fire. Yeah. Well, it just turned into way more inspiring to kind of explore all the different mediums, you know, acrylics cool. and oils and spray paints and everything and so I've yeah, just gone down that road and and tried to push my myself and and learn as much as i can just by trial and error see i have like a variety of things that i notice in my life and i talk to other people and you have these things that you like pick up and put down yeah and i always wonder wonder about those because like it was stepping away from some things to transition into something new um sometimes can be really terrifying you know and it could be hard not to like you know, do the sum cost fallacy. I spent all this time on this. I got to keep doing this. I'm not, I'm going to not take that opportunity because I don't want to give up on this and go over there. And like, yeah. I've realized just having that confidence, you know, like for me, writing was a big thing. And it's interesting because as I find myself distancing from that, I find other opportunities that were completely unexpected in these new pursuits that overlap with my writing. And my writing's just like sitting there in the background, just like waiting to be revitalized. And I get this project and I'm like, oh, writing, I, I miss you. <laughs> yeah, <that's> awesome. <laughs> and you mean like journal writing, right? Yeah, awesome. yeah. Sweet. Yeah, it's, it's cool. And even doing like uh, different like articles on people and stuff, it's, it's a blast. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, that's an art form. Kudos. Did you, uh, did your, how did your art, art, how did your artistic style develop over time and were you ever like structured in in trying to develop your artistic abilities or did you just like grow in skill naturally it was very natural and just being open-minded and I think there was a ton of subconscious influence there's so much art in the world you know like my first time to Argentina and just all the different street art and there's there it's just everywhere and so I've always been drawn to a lot of color so a lot of my pieces have a lot of color but then coming from a graphic design world I also went down a few years of having very tonal graphics on wood grains and taking inspiration from surfing and stuff but yeah I I think having an open mind meeting other artists like I've collaborated with my friend Sky Walker a lot who who went to art school and he's, he's a muralist feel full time, you know, and then my other friend that I collaborated with for the dead, Todd DeCercio, who's a full fine art, you know, living in Brooklyn and he's very abstract. So people like that, you know, broke my brain a little bit collaborating <laughs> with, cause I, he's, he just had me not attached to any ideas or anything that I knew before, you know, it's like, he's like completely, excuse my French, but Mm -hmm. fuck up my painting, you know, like (laughs) ain't all over it. I'm like, it looks so sick what you did here. And so just not having any attachment and all of that, that was really helpful that we collaborated. I guess that was in 2019 now. So, and we did, I think we did six large scale paintings together on linen and, and yeah, it was just, I mean, that was, that was a big, a big eye opener for me of, of just not, I was never that structured in my art. Like all my ideas and my, my worlds are very, very much 
a, a spiritual journey of mm-hmm. of my own mind you know like animals or creatures that i see within the mountains and the waves and i'm taking inspiration from mother nature and all my pieces you know but i was i was picking that apart and having abstract faces in mountains and whatever whatever it might be you know representing old man winter or representing certain things from from those parts of my life and so and old man winter and and the mountains make their way into almost all of my pieces now i would say it's kind of like a signature piece but i by no means have to have it and i don't have like a structured one that i always do or anything so does your representation of those of those like those artistic symbols i guess do those change over time or like improve like if you're doing like old man winter right because every time you draw it is it is your idea of how to how to convey it artistically change i'd say so but it still has an element of living within the mountains and kind of harmonizing with all the creatures and and the land you know like water flowing flowing out of his beard and turning into waves and whatever that is it's all it's all just the connection that we all have to nature it stays consistent you know sometimes i i was like i have had these things with you know in, in learning how to how to draw um like ideas or things that i like to draw and I realized that sometimes those things were, I'd be drawing a similar thing over and over again, mm-hmm. you know, like, and throughout like my life, it's like kind of weird. And the, yeah. past, you know, in a five year span, sometimes there's like this reoccurring thing that comes up in my drawing. And it seems like for, for me, I've, if I were to like try to try to convey a certain perspective, I would have had, had a really hard time um, understanding how to convey perspective and depth. Um, mm-hmm and and things it would just like look off and i would feel like there was a big disconnect from what i like what i was thinking and Mm -hmm. what i was putting on the paper and i started to i read a book about like a a drawing book like how to draw in 30 days or something and for me it like blew my mind because i was like oh you could do like overlapping and you know and like shadow and stuff like that to um to create like a sense of depth and you know And so you can know what's going on. And what I realized is like, I, I was starting to draw more and more what I was able to visualize. And, and I was learning the things that I was th- learning about the things I was thinking as I was going along. Like I didn't have that idea fully fleshed out, but as I got better at drawing, I was able to bring it into the world like more yeah. accurately. Is that what it's like for you as an artist? Or did I just get like, geeking out on my own little thing <laughs> no no it is i i think i follow you like i'm not trying to necessarily portray an accurate representation of any one thing other than nature which is inspiring me so i have the freedom to really go off of just a lifetime of experience in the mountains or in the ocean or whatever it is so it's really easy for me to find inspiration like a lot of people have to get in the zone or you know if if you're I don't, I, yeah, I guess I don't know how to say it. Cause I just have, I have such a deep pool of inspiration from my time spent outside and, and just my experience with the land, you know? So mm-hmm. I can, I can just continually convey what I'm feeling at that time, whether it's the intricacies and the depth within the trees or, you know, it's the mountains or the waves or whatever it is I can like really 
bring bring all that full circle i feel like i don't know if that answers your question that makes sense yeah yeah and when you're in those places and like inspired by that and you're putting it like putting it to paper or you're you're creating it um do you do you have to are you thinking about like different uh techniques and how to like you know create that or is it just all free flowing you know as you're doing it I, I experiment techniques for sure. And that's goes back to, you know, just what I've learned over, over this, yeah. how many, many years of creating, you know, if it's like when, when my friend Todd showed me a more abstract world and, and we were, you know, collaborating, which it took both of us to new heights, you know, he lays the grounds and he kind of lets his movement, it's reactionary movement, you know, and he lets that speak to the art. And I was, staring at these pieces we were doing together and then trying to bring creatures out of that reactionary movement. So if, whether I saw an eagle or a mountain lion or a face or whatever it is, I was trying to like highlight that out of the art. And so those kind of those, that kind of mentality is definitely more present now with, with what I'm doing. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily look at a landscape and just try and paint it realistically mm -hmm. or look at a, face and do real life paintings i'm very much just dipping into my mind and, yeah. and drawing, drawing whatever you know is inspiring to me so and then in regards to the actual style and that that's a never-ending experiment you know like i'll use more flow acrylics or and try and let the paint react more and just kind of see what comes of it and then or i'll you know, try and shade, like you're saying, and, and blend a lot more paints to get more depth, you know, so it's kind of whatever I'm feeling at that moment, really. It, do you feel like you, it's um, like your approach to that, um, to like your, your artistic style is a lot like your approach to like how you learned and improved as a skier, you know, very experientially? Yeah, I'd say so. And I think the biggest thing is just open-mindedness, really. Like if you don't put if you don't put expectations or constraints on yourself, then you really have the ability to explore. Right. So it's like, I, I certainly have expectations on my skiing. Like if mm -hmm. I, if I do a, a horrible 360 off of a cliff, I'm like, what the hell's wrong with me? You know, like <laughs> I've done a million 360s. How can I not do a 360 right now? But it's still trying it's yeah it's like ego it's all of that stuff just trying to let go and and let that moment and time and space take over essentially live like every buddhist or anyone <laughs> does like live very presently you know and try and just be in the moment as much as you can yeah. so yeah they're very similar similar approaches i'd say i often see people um would approach like you know art like from like a general audience uh with a fixed mindset and it's a lot easier to approach like a sport more mm -hmm. with a growth mindset like ah oh, you know i could you might not be good at skiing because you've never tried it it's obvious right yeah. but then like with people coming into like drawing and art i feel like it's harder for people to make a similar argument but i think both run parallel to each other because that's mm -hmm. where i've learned just with the techniques in and of itself it reminded me a lot of what i learned in like running rock climbing jujitsu like these techniques like there there are things that you can learn you yeah. know and it's your implementation of them and how you combine them that's your unique creativity and a representation of your self-expression 
right? Yeah, totally. No, absolutely. I mean, yeah, we all have a toolbox of, of skill sets that we've learned o- over a lifetime. And it's how, like you say, how you apply those after, after the fact. And uh, do you, does your, does your art comp- Yeah. Does your art compete with your filming and your skiing and how do you balance all of that out? <laughs> It does. It does now, but my 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 life balance is getting more and more complicated for sure. It's it's just. I think I forget how the quote exactly goes, but you the less time you have, the more efficient you become, you know, and and you can get things done. And so, there is an element of of that, you know, like if I'm very much inspired painting and I want to stay up till two in the morning, just keep going, then I'm going to be wrecked the next day or, you know, or that sacrifice is going out on a pow day or filming or whatever. And so the reality is, is family is priority number one. So you have to always kind of be selfless in that respect and, and address that first. And then, all the selfish pursuits of art and skiing and surfing and climbing come, come after that. But that's where it's, I mean, and it's so fun, you know, like my, if I try to go paint in my studio and my son wants to come and wants to paint on my painting or something, then I'm like, Oh boy, here we go. And I try to let him, you know, and I'll just have to paint over it or whatever it might be. Or set him up a little easel next to me, you know, cause you want to, I want to encourage that as much as I can too. So and it's the same with skiing. If I'm walking out of the door to go filming and he's desperate to go skiing, then try to try to fulfill those needs too, you know? So it's, it's all just time balance. And I can't say that I have a, some secret formula. I'm pretty, I'm pretty scattered and just trying to survive. <laughs> um, and do you, do you feel like that's uh, a value system that you have for for because of your raising your kids um or do you think that's um like a a value system that you'll that you hold throughout your life because some people would like you know family socializing and chinking down the time at least you know a little bit maybe spending a little more time there whereas i know other people you know might be like once the the parenthood's gone right that big like loving responsibility the thing you've been you know that you really like cherish but once that's got the kids are gone then it's like oh now you're like off in this big adventure you yeah. know is that how it is for you or is that going to be like over your whole life yeah i guess i i don't know if i entirely understand i i i hear you but i i i would say there is the selfish side of me that you know if my son's at school or something then I will fulfill my selfish needs and pursuits. It's not like, is that what you mean? Yeah. yeah, Okay. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm not, I, I've been very lucky to like live this life and, and I don't feel like I'm a huge risk taker. So I'm not, I'm not changing how I ski or what lines I ski or anything thinking of now I have more responsibility of a, of a family because I was already like you're saying, living my whole life with that respect of life. Like I don't want to die today. So yeah, I, but I also, I also want to live, you know, I don't want to spend a life 
afraid to live. So it's, it's a fine balance, but I'd say my, my mentality and approach has, well, has always been the same and is, is, is the same now, but certainly if my child needs me, I address that first just cause that's the right thing to do. Yeah, exactly. Well, you I, I selfishly don't want to, you know, for me, I, I look at it, you know, often like, um, you know, you decide to do something, whether you have like a five, 10 or 20 year, um, like plan for something, yeah. those don't always work out, but like, you know, you can be ambitious at least and yeah. commit yourself to something. And that's how I found like with, for me, it's parenting's it's really, I've taken that perspective with being a father in that way, where it's like, cause I have a kid, I've like committed myself to, you know, being like a, a caretaker and a counselor and you know and spending this time and putting that as that high priority the highest priority right mm-hmm. um, for this amount of time and then once i lock that off for me it's just so um stress relieving in some sense and it makes my whole life a lot easier to manage because now i know that everything is um is in addition to that and yeah. then i can i can plan accordingly and i can you know have those expectations um, with whatever goals or interests that I have. I know that it's never actually competing with that. It only has an amount, a certain amount of space because this, this being a father is something that I chose or that I, that I have. And yeah. I choose to take on with like the most, you know, like uh, attention and awareness yeah. that I can. Cause it's like, it's a, it, I wouldn't say a recreation. I would just say it's like, it's something to do. And yeah. out of all the things that I have to do, I want to go and give that the best, you know, effort that I can. Yeah, for and, sure. And like, and um, what, what I, I guess like a, a thing that I find interesting sometimes is when people, when their kids leave the house, you get like an empty nester syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you or like anyone who, who develops some form of recreation, right. And is at least yeah. able to like, do a little bit of it while their kids are while they have their raising their kids you know to really kind of understand what you like and being able to hold off and then once the kids go it's like you don't have this like because the sad feeling of you know what what do i have left to do because i would replace people's windshields a lot for uh, auto glass and the reason why i mentioned that is is i would see 10 people a day and i would drive um all throughout like a three counties and I would see people from all different backgrounds, but yeah. I'd see a lot of people who are like retired and it'd often be like, oh, I'm retired and you know, I don't work. So I just kind of like hang out at the house and I'm just really bored. And maybe I, I'm thinking about going back to work. And I was like, like, it's, you could travel the world. You could, yeah. bored. you could, you know, whatever, you must have some kind of passion in there. Right. Yeah. So so when I see somebody like yourself, you know, who's able to like kind of balance these things and, and still go out there and enjoy yourself and play, I think it's really beautiful as a role model, not only to your children, but also, you know, when you don't have children. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, in, in that perspective, I definitely will never have what do I do now syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) I have so many passions and interests and I just love, love living. So that's, that's going to be easy to fill. My, my hope is that my son just is interested or my, both my sons are interested in some of the things that I love to do, even if they're not, it's great and be a scientist or whatever they decide to be. But 
it'd be pretty sweet if, you know, I could climb El Cap with my kid one day or, <laughs> or something, you know, it's yeah. like, I'm, I have a lifetime of, of desires for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Not necessarily goals, but it'll be easy to, to fill out the rest of my life with fun. Do you, do you think a lot about not setting expectations for yourself? I, I guess I do, but I'm also was just never a goal setter. Like my wife is very much a goal setter and accomplished in doing so, you know, like she's one rider of the year for snowboarding and that kind of stuff. And I just, I, I guess I, I, and like I said earlier, I don't think it was some, some conscious decision. Like I didn't have some, I don't, I don't know how to ex- mm-hmm. articulate it exactly. Like, uh, but I've, I'm not some, you know, well-practiced meditative <laughs> Buddhist or something that's like, I just live presently, but I somehow do live very presently and yeah. just, not worry about the past too much, not worry about the future too much. And, and I don't know if that's how I was raised or not, you know, but I, cause my parents aren't necessarily like that or weren't like that, you know? So have you, have you ever tried to like, uh, for whatever reason, like, um, be really, really measured and really analytical. Um, and you know what I mean? Like in preparation for something, yeah, I, I'm, it's just not me. Wow. <laughs> like, Cause, so you know this about yourself, but I've yeah. had the experiences where it's like, oh, I really should do, do well at this, or I want to prepare really well. And I'm yeah. like, well, I don't really plan very much. So yeah. maybe I should plan. And then I do it and I'm like, God, I just didn't, that whole process didn't feel good for me. And I like compare myself to like a type A friend and it's like, well, they, it felt really good for them and they were successful. So maybe I should do it. And what I've learned over time is, is that, you know, your process is a pretty unique thing to you. And it's yeah. like you could spend a whole lifetime figuring out what's effective just for you. Yeah. And for me, I kind of get on a little bit more with, with yourself because like, even if I spend a lot of time, like visualizing moves on like a climbing route, you know how much discipline that takes me to just like sit and really think about everything I'm going to do before I just go up there and figure it all out. Like, yeah, totally. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it's, it is, it's a trip. Like I have friends that climbing is the perfect example. You know, I'd say that's the most meditative sport I have because you can't be thinking about what you're having for dinner or anything. You know, you're, you're straining your, body at its physical and mental mental limits you know so so i mean yeah in terms of visualizing like i have friends that know every move of every route of everything they've ever done and i'm not that person at all. <laughs> and it's not it's not that i don't have goals and want to reach that skill level you know like i hope to free climb el cap one day like i i've been i have friends that climb it a lot and you know i could go aid some of the pitches but I would rather get to a skill level that I could climb 513 comfortably and, and do every move on the route, even if I fall, but it would be more inspiring to me to actually touch the rock and climb it in that sense. And so that's, I guess, a goal, but yeah, I don't, I don't sit here and be like, I have to prepare for that. I'm just like, if, 
you know, life gets me prepared. And then one day someone's like, let's go up LCAP. I'll be like, all right, we're trying it. You're not like, you know, okay, I have to go and, you know, go up this grade this year. Yeah, exactly. That year. Yeah. Wow. That's so like, that's really inspiring, I guess, and um, comforting because that's exactly how I approach things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. you, You nailed it. I think it's a personality trait really, you know, and it's like, I, I think a false sense of confidence comes into it too, you know, (laughs) if you're just unfit and whatever, you're like, Oh, I'm going to go on a hundred mile bike ride today or whatever it is. I'll just do stuff like that. If I have a window of time or, and I just, I guess that comes down to just, I, I feel like I should be capable and I am capable of of things. So (laughs) in an activity world, that's kind of, yeah, I just go for it. And same with painting really, you know, or, whatever it is and you just kind of got to try and see what happens and there's certainly with skiing you know like with watching the progression of tricks and stuff i'm very well aware that i shouldn't try certain tricks because i'm probably going to hurt myself you know (laughs) whereas when i was younger i'd maybe just try it like try to understand it or visualize it a little bit to just like okay but yeah i was never a great visualizer or anything i would just kind of just go for it Mm-hmm. and with the with tricks and stuff like that do you have to spend a lot of time like training aerials to be able to perform those things well so people do but that's once again not my personality <laughs> like I've, I've never hit a airbag or a water ramp or any of those things and i could be much better at tricks if i wanted uh, to do that but i just have no interest in but that. you wouldn't be chris <laughs> yeah, exactly. so it's like i certainly could go and i can't really jump on trampolines very well like people train train like crazy for sure but i'm not that's not my vibe that's wild yeah that's where um where i'm finding that when i'm going into all of these things you learn so much about yourself just like your children teach you a lot about yourself these new experiences and i used to be really afraid of like getting a there's a cliche of you get that like a corporate job, right? Yeah. You know, you go work for the man or you're going to work for like a nine to five and you're like a weekend warrior and dot, da da. And I was like, I realized how like ideological it kind of can be. And also that it missed the point. What, mm-hmm. what I was trying to describe is I didn't want to end up being somebody who is somewhere they didn't want to be. Like, cause it doesn't really matter what the hell you're doing. Cause I, I was like doing martial arts, you know, and I got a teaching gig and it was like, the pay was pretty incredible and all the scenarios are just awesome. Yeah. Lifestyle wasn't what I wanted and being there didn't feel right. And like, it, it was a good thing and outside, you know, from the outside looking in, that's a successful thing. Yeah, to have the self-awareness and be able to realize it is that's a win right there, you know. And that's what I think that I find like, you know, whoever you are and whatever you do, you know, it's that self-awareness that seems to be, you know, important and and throughout all of that. Totally. <laughs> and um do you uh do you have anything that for for people who who are like interested in um, being a creative person in in skiing or or just art, do you have like any any takeaways for them? I'd say just what, everything we've been talking about. Don't put expectations or or limitations on yourself, and just 
go out there and and stay authentic and true and and express yourself in the way that you want to be want to want to do it you know so it's the same approach i kind of apply to everything and i think i think it's served me well so far you know i could certainly be a better skier and a better artist and all these things but like you said just a little bit ago it wouldn't be me so <laughs> sweet thank you so yeah. much Chris. Um, you're very welcome is there anywhere that people could check out your work or any of your awesome videos um yeah youtube has most of the videos at this point you know if, if you type in my name but uh and then art wise i have a website crispinjetler.com and i sell limited release like jaclay fine art prints i hand number and sign them all which is oh, kind of cool. cool and then uh uh social media wise i try to just do instagram i got hacked a while ago so i lost <laughs> lost Twitter and Facebook. It's, uh -huh. it's kind of recovered, but I can't really post on it or access it. So oh, it sucks. Yeah, it's all right. I mean, social media is, is a gnarly place, you know? So yeah, it is Instagram, Instagram works, but it's, it's even, I can't keep up with like the messages and stuff, which I, anyone listening, I apologize. I try to, <laughs> you know, I, once a month, I try to just like bust through them, but after three weeks, your DMs get deleted. So I miss a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> and but, there was actually one last thing that I, that I had that I forgot to ask. Did you, did you, when you were a kid and you became an adult, um, or, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> once you were respon like responsible for yourself, right. And you're yeah. out on your own, did you have to have like a, a nine to five? Not nine to five, but like I said, I worked construction for my dad just because oh, yeah. I was forced to, essentially forced to. I mean, I now looking back, I'm so thankful for that time I spent with him. But and then after that, I worked at an ice cream parlor, and I had I had little jobs to to you know until skiing was enough to pay the bills. So. Uh. And was there ever like a goal or like a waiting, like, you know, to get, to get done with that, with that grind? Or is it just like, Oh, this is a nice thing to do. I like the place that I'm at. Yeah. Uh, once again, I think I wasn't thinking too much about it. I was just passionate about skiing and just kind of pursuing, pursuing what, what That's was wonderful to me. Yeah. Ah, cool. Oh. Yeah. Thanks so much, Chris. You're so welcome. Thank super you. comforting conversation. <laughs> yeah, likewise. I appreciate it. It's good. Good getting to know you. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. It was awesome to be able to talk to Chris. I love his intuitive approach to his art and skiing, just life in general. I can really relate. Um, sometimes I find myself getting caught between uh, oscillating between two points of, you know, uh, structure, orderliness, discipline, and um, intuition, um, being able to acutely understand how I feel um, and where I'm, where I'm potent and where I'm weak and be able to work with that or sharpen myself against that resistance. <clears throat> and I find that it's a very personal experience. And you know what the best way to figure it out is? Go out and have an adventure. Set your aim. Go and give something to try. Try out skiing. 
try some martial arts, maybe get into painting and figure out the ways that you want to express yourself in that constraint. There's many ways to be a painter, a skier, etc. It's up to you to figure that out. If you'd like to learn more about Chris, you can find him on chrisbenchetler.com. Uh, you should check out his some or his videos. Some of my favorites are Fire on the Mountain, which was a collaboration with the Grateful Dead. He's got some amazing visual arts on there. Um, and also GoPro Chasing Adventure, which is a pretty sick video and gets me all pumped up for summer. You can find the links to that in the show notes and also becominghumanpodcast.com. And if you enjoyed the show, be sure to share it with a friend, rate, Review it on iTunes and drop a comment on the website. I'm going to play you out with a wonderful song called Existential Blues by The Living Arrow. We got a real thing going here. Enjoy. Another sacred point of view. But when I got a bright idea But I got a bone to pick with you But when I die, blow your kisses to the sky Where I will break through All these existential Subject to all these existential blues.